Good morning again. It's good to see all of you here. Let's slide this over just a little bit there. Keep getting that light right in my eye there. So we're we've been in uh, beautiful. We've been in Colossians now for a few weeks, a few times, and we'll continue in Colossians. And we, we've been looking at a book that Paul has written to the church in Colossae. Now, Colossae was in the Lycus Valley. It was right near the church of Laodicea, um, right near the city of Heropolis. It was a, on a major trade route. And so within the context of that time, the church in Colossae, Colossae the city, was a, it was a smallish city, and it was a small church. But the city was, excuse me, the church was being impacted by the religious syncretism that was apparent and prevalent in the city. So you had a mixture of Jewish uh, tradition, you had pagan rituals, uh, you had Greek philosophy, even Eastern mysticism, all kind of combining in its influence on the Colossian church. And now, about the Colossian church, and, and that, with that false teaching, it was an early form of Gnosticism in the sense that they believed that you needed something besides Jesus. And as Paul, and as we will get into later in the letter, there, there's multiple things that Paul addresses, whether he specifically addresses tradition and philosophy, and he addresses religious activity and religious experiences, and all these things they were adding to Christ. And now, for me, when I, when I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking about my wife's trip to Italy and how much I've always wanted to go to Italy. Uh, for me, I love history. I love things that are old. Um, you know, even in the United States, you, you get a few things that date into the 1700s. Um, Beth's brother actually lives in a town that was uh, that dates back into early 1700s. So you get some older things there, but you get nothing compared to some of the old buildings in Europe. You know that date thousands and thousands of years old. You mean the Colosseum in Rome, especially. But I always wanted to go to Italy. It's uh, you know I've heard from my wife and others that the people are friendly, the food is excellent, and then if you like history, then you know it's it's a good place to be. So what I was thinking about this week as I was studying this passage, and I don't believe this is on. Here, let me cut it on. Let's see. Here it goes. Didn't work. Uh, off. Helps if you hit the button and turn it on, right? There we go. Ah, Supremacy of Christ is the title this morning. What I was thinking about, I was thinking about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I don't know why. I've always liked the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I think it was because I had a sticker book when I was a little kid, and it had the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and I was always like, wow, that's cool. They built that tower all crooked. I mean, most towers you see straight up. And it wasn't until I, uh, I got older I realized that that was not on purpose. And so I was thinking about that tower this week. I was thinking about the fact that um, it's crooked, you know. And the fact that it's crooked, it, was, it actually started leaning when they were building it. They built the first two stories, and then they had to stop for 100 years because they were at war with one of their neighbors. And in the midst of that time, the ground on one side is softer, and it started settling. And they were like, well, we're just going to keep building it. And so they actually, it's interesting, they actually built the, the leaning side, the right side, higher than the left side. So if it was to actually stand up straight, it actually would be curved because they, they compensated. And, and what I kept thinking about as I was thinking about that tower, and this, it was amazing how it popped in my head, I was thinking about the teachings of the false teachers. And in the midst of the sense that 
When we look at this passage we're going to be looking at this morning, Paul gives a beautiful picture of Christ. And what the false teachers were doing is they were saying that Christ alone was not enough. They were saying that you needed more, that He was not sufficient for you in your spiritual life. And they were building upon that foundation of Christ, and they were, they were changing, they were adding it, they, they were even denying crucial aspects of who Christ is, and as a result, their religious system that they were bringing into the church and teaching the Colossians was a crooked system. Right? If, you, if you add on to something other than Christ, it doesn't lead to the same place. And so I was thinking about these false teachers, and I was thinking about their, their system full of man's philosophy and their, their cl- complex uh, angel worship and, and spiritual beings, uh, worship of spiritual beings, excuse me. They're thinking about the human traditions, their spiritual experiences, and I was just thinking about how it looked all interesting and it looked all complex to say, well, you have to have this special knowledge. But in reality, it was crooked. And it wasn't built on the rock. That's the foundation of Jesus Christ alone. So just because a building looks beautiful and looks intricate, just because a religious system looks interesting and complex, if it's not built on the rock that is Jesus Christ and Christ alone, it will end up in a crooked place. Now let's go ahead and look at this passage and then we'll dig into some of it a little bit more. And we're looking at Colossians chapter 1. And we'll be looking at verses 15 through 20. And it's doubtful we'll get through all this today. There's, there's so much, so, so much of powerful uh, information here about the Lord Jesus Christ that we'll go as far as we can and we'll finish probably next week, part 2. So verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, are the things on earth or things in heaven. So when you think about false teachers, even in our day, where there's the the Mormon false church, I refuse to call them a church, the Mormon false church of Latter-day Saints, or Jehovah's false witnesses, right? You think about these groups, right? They pervert who Christ is, right? Early Gnostics believed that Jesus was not a man, but He was emanation from the Father, that you had to go through different levels in order to reach God. Mormons say that Jesus and Satan are brothers and they're battling it out, right? And, and by the way, the Mormons also say that people of color are uh, they, Satan's fallen demons that have fallen to the earth, right? It's inherently, inherently prejudiced and racist, a system that they've got. Uh, Jehovah's witnesses, or false witnesses, uh, they believe that Jesus was merely a man. So what do you have when you get false teaching? Is You have them denying the fundamental aspects of who Jesus Christ is. Right? 
And so Paul, when he begins this section, he's going through his introduction, he's going through his, his thankful, thankfulness and his prayer for them, and now he's digging into the meat. And he just naturally goes in this, it's, it's almost a hymn in the way it's written. It's just a beautiful passage. Even in the Greek, English kind of get the same idea. It's like, it's just, he's just overflowing with all this, this joy and this information about the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you mess this up, you get everything else wrong. If you don't get the foundation right, the building will fall. And that's Paul's point here. If you suss this up, you mess it up, what you get in the end is not worth anything and ultimately will come tumbling down because they were denying the Trinitarian doctrine. Ultimately, that's what we get with most false, almost all false religions. They, they deny either Christ's deity or His humanity. There's a group of in the States, um, I don't know if they're here yet, but it's called the Oneness Pentecostal Movement. And they, they actually are modalists. Modalists goes back to early, early heresy. And they basically believe that God just changes forms. He's God the Father, and then when He came to earth, He turned into Jesus, and then He turns into the Spirit. It's like these different modes. And this Oneness Pentecostal Movement, the, um, if you guys have heard some of their songs, Philip, Phillips, Craig, and Dean are oneness Pentecostal pastors. And so they believe that Jesus changes forms. You see how, how subtle sometimes the heresy is. They would, they would even affirm some religious organizations' confessions. But that's where we have the Athanasius Creed, we have the Nicene Creed, we have those creeds that were dealing with those early heresies. And so those creeds state what Paul is going to be stating this morning, basically that Jesus Christ is God fully and that He is man fully. So if you get this right, you get everything else. And that's one of the reasons I'm spending such amount of time on this this morning, and we're spending some, and even next week is because, like I said, if you mess this up, everything else will tumble and fall. So we're going to be looking at two points this morning, or we'll, well, try to. The first is that Jesus Christ is supreme over creation in verses 15 to 17, and then Jesus Christ is supreme over the new creation in verses 18 through 20. There you go. So the first point, Jesus Christ is supreme over creation. If you look down, first of all, at verse 15, it says, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, it's interesting, when it talks about image, we naturally think of Genesis, where man was created in God's image. Now, man is not a perfect representation of God. Right? We have no divine attributes. Right? We didn't even have divine attributes before the fall. Right? So we, we, we were in the image of God in the sense that we have personality and will, volition. Right? Even though that volition is corrupted by the fall. We have, uh, we have conscience. We have creativity. Right? All those things. So when you look at animals and man, there is a big difference. We are not evolutionary uh, ascendant over all creation. We are created above in dominion over all creation. Animals are not people. It doesn't matter about that sign I saw, Beth and I, on the way to Las Vegas one time. We were driving from California, and the sign, big sign by PETA, PETA for the Ethical Treatment of Animals in the States. Um, so it was a big sign by PETA, and it says, it says uh, dogs are people too, right? No, they're not. They're dogs, right? Animals are animals, right? They don't have wills. They don't have consciences, Right? Even you love dolphins, dolphins kill their babies sometimes when they're born. Right? They're, they're just acting on simple instinct. And there's, there's no ability to discern innately right and wrong. 
Right? God's given men consciousness. So man are created in the image of God, but when, when Paul says, look, he says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, God himself is invisible. Romans 1.20 says God's in, invisible attributes are clearly seen in this world. 1 Timothy 1.17 says the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. So how is an is a invisible God made manifest to the world? He's made manifest in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus is the image. He's the exact and true representation and revelation of God on this earth. Okay? So He's not just... Uh, he's not partly God. Right? He's not partly man. He's fully God, fully man. He's the exact representation. Jesus said, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Okay? And he goes further. When you look at the word for image, the word is icon. Okay? So the word, for, the word icon is, is it shows the reality of what it represents. So if I had a coin, and I thought I did, and I do not, on the back of that coin here in Australia, it would have whose picture on it, right? The queen. Now, that's her image. Is that the queen? No. We talk to it, does it talk back? No, right? It's, it's a representation or a likeness, right? But it's not a perfect representation, right? Jesus Christ was the perfect image, the icon, the perfect representation of God on earth, okay? Right? He's fully God and fully man, right? So when you see Jesus, right, in the sense of His Word, and you hear His words, you can understand what Jesus is saying is from God, right? Okay? Philippians 2.6 says, although he existed in the form of God, right? So he humbled himself. Hebrews 1.3 says, and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. Right? So Paul is, is building this argument about who Jesus Christ is. This is, this is revelatory, Right? You've got to remember that they didn't have the whole New Testament. Like We can read the whole New Testament. We can immediately turn to Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Oh, Jesus is God. You know This isn't that big a deal. We kind of get it. This is revelatory information that Paul is giving to these believers. Right? They understood that Jesus was fully God, but they, they didn't have the full picture. Right? And so Paul's saying, look, he, he's God incarnate. He's the icon. He's the image. He's the visible representation, the true representation of God. If you, if you understand and see Jesus, you have seen God. John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Christ was the image, or is the image, excuse me, of God. Man was created in his image, right? So not only is Christ, he's the image of God, right? He is um, the, the image of the invisible God. But he's also the... Let's see if I can click that. Okay. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, this is where... This word here, this, this word for firstborn can get, get a little tricky in the sense that you'll have, you'll have unbelievers and you'll have cults will say, well, wait a second. If he's the image of the invisible God, right? if he's God... How is he firstborn? Right? That doesn't make sense because if he's if he's firstborn, then he's got to be created. Right? He was born first. And this is an argument I've heard actually from Job's witnesses. And they'll say, Oh, well, how can this be? But what it is, it's a it's a misunderstanding of how firstborn is used in scripture. Firstborn is used metaphorically to show rank. 
right? It's metaphorically to show rank. It showed rank in the Old Testament, and it showed rank in the New Testament. In fact, the Jews, the Romans, the Greeks, all would have understood this pretty easily. We don't really use that term here in the Western world when you think of inheritance. It has to do with the, the rank you'd have in a family, right? I'm the firstborn, so in a Jewish or even Greek and Roman world, I would receive 75% of the inheritance of my father by nature of my rank as firstborn, right? But if I did something to make my dad mad and he would decide that I was no longer firstborn in rank, no matter what chronological order I was born in, he could transfer that status to someone else. In fact, Roman law allowed for you to adopt somebody. If you didn't have an heir... I could, adopt, I could adopt a grown man and say, all right, now this, this grown man is my quote-unquote firstborn. He is the one that's going to receive my inheritance. Right? So when you think about firstborn, think about it in terms of Jacob and Esau. Right? Esau was born first. But who received the blessing? That was Jacob. Right? Jacob wasn't chronologically firstborn, but he was firstborn in the sense of he received all the blessing or most of the blessing and the inheritance from his father. So, Psalm 89 actually speaks about this. It's interesting in Psalm 89, it's 20, verse 27, it says, I will make him my firstborn. And God is talking about King David. Now, David was the youngest son. And we know this in 1 Samuel. He was the youngest son, but yet he was the one that was chosen. And God said he will give him the status, the legal right, as the firstborn. So, Christ as firstborn, then if not only he has that rank and he has that privilege as the firstborn, it means he has supreme status over all creation. Right? If Christ is firstborn, he is the one that is over all in rank. Right? He's supreme. Hebrews 1-2 says, In the last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Revelation 11.15, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So Jesus is not only deity, he's not only the image of God, he's the firstborn or, or rightful heir over all creation. He is above his creation in every way, and he stands apart because he was the creator, as we'll find out in just a second. He was not created. He was not part of His creation. He was above His creation. You see, the, the false teachers that Paul is addressing were likely saying that Christ wasn't fully God, that He was a created spiritual being. And He wasn't entirely sufficient in knowing God or even securing salvation or securing your spiritual growth. Right? Whether it's the first century or it's today, Paul is refuting any diminished idea of who Jesus Christ really is. So he's the image of God, right? He's also the creator, right? He keeps going, so he's been building. He says, he's God, there's no doubt of it. He has a prominent position over his creation. And now we find out, and this is revelatory in verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So He is the Creator. It's interesting, He says, all things. He says it twice. He says in verse 16, For by Him all things, or through Him all things, 
were created. And then at the end of that verse, it says, All things have been created through Him. Christ is unique agent of creation. So Paul is trying to prove here, and he's, and he's doing it in the sense of showing that Jesus Christ is not part of His creation. Right? If you, one of the false teachings of the Mormon church is that Christ is the brother of Satan. That they were both created beings and they battle it out. Right? That's kind of like the world in the sense of we have the yin and yang. You know, the good and evil and they battle it out and they're kind of in balance. Right? That's kind of the idea of, of modern, modern people. You ask them, you know, in the sense of, hey, can you go to heaven? They'll say, well, as long as my good stuff outweighs my bad. You know, is that, there's kind of that balance in the world and I, I'm trying to do more good things. And, but, you know, the, the bad stuff, Satan's attacking me. You hear people say, well, the demons and Satan's attacking me, but I'm trying to follow Jesus. And it kind of goes back and forth and it's kind of a, an idea of their balance. Well, the false teachers in Paul's day were, were saying similar things. They were saying that Jesus is part of his creation. He's not part of his creation. He's above his creation. Everything through him was created. Not anything apart from Christ was created. Right? So when you think about theories of creation, right? Because that's what they are. When you think about the theory of evolution, right? Well, Paul says all things were created by Christ. The thing is, when you, when you look at theories on how the universe came into being, you think about Darwin. Darwin was the son of a pastor, by the way. Right? He, he, he rejected Christ. And he wanted to figure out a way that things could come into being apart from God. And so he developed this whole theory of natural selection, a process that takes time and energy apart from the creation of God. Because he didn't want to submit to God. He didn't want to be under God's standards, ultimately. You see, when you think about different theories of how this world was created, you, you always start with the first fundamental question. The first fundamental question is, is there a God? Right? And if you say yes, then okay, well then if there's a God, then He has worked in some way to create what exists. If you say, alright, well no, then, then there has to be some natural processes for that to come about. Right? That's why you go in modern universities. They've already decided at the top there's no God. So if you go into a science class and you're arguing for a creationistic standpoint, they've already determined that there has to be a natural process for this world. right? So the, the question isn't, well, is creationism and evolution two combating theories? The, the basic question is, do you, do you ultimately believe in God? Right? Romans tells us, why that is. Romans says that man sees divine attributes in this world and they, what, they reject God. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They're haters of God. Right? That, it's in their hearts. It said men will not come into the light because they, they love the darkness. They love their sin. So when Christ is above all things, all things are created for Him. Everything, it's all-encompassing. This highlighting Christ's power John 1, 3 says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. They see in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, He says, God the Father created all things and we exist for Him. Jesus Christ created all things and we exist for Him. So which is correct? The answer is yes. 
They're both, correct? God the Father through the Son created the world, right? So He created not all things, but look, He says He created the heavens and the earth. He's talking about location. One of the things you guys know, I've probably repeated this and I will continue over the years, is I, I love the stargaze. Um, don't ask me what the planets are and how to find them. I'm not that good. Uh, constellations. But I just love it. I remember even when I was a boy, we had this trampoline and I would lay it on the trampoline, and I would just look at the stars. We lived a little ways out of the, out of the, uh, out of the city, so you didn't have all the bright streetlights. And I would just look there, and I was just, just amazed at how many stars you could see. You know, we kind of, kind of living in the suburbs, you, you only get to see the brightest ones. And if you ever go out, and I was talking to Greg, you, know, you go out to like the Flinders Ranges, and you go camping, and, and you get to see just, just the beauty of the creation. And here in the Southern Hemisphere, you can, you can see just the, the Milky Way. It's just, it's just gorgeous. I had the privilege of, of camping in the Victorian mountains with um, a mate in, uh, in Melbourne, and I was just, I was just amazed. You know, just the, the differences in the star field compared to the northern hemisphere just, just, just blew me away. You don't think about it, but that's just something that's fundamental. You think about all those planets, the stars, the galaxies. Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. All that you see was created by Jesus Christ. If he has the power to do that, does he have the power to transform your life? Yes. Is he sufficient? Yes. He created all those things. And you think about it, he says not only heavens on the earth, he's created everything on the earth, the mountains, the seas, the animals, everything on this earth. If you think about the earth itself, if the earth was tilted one or two degrees in any directions, it would not support life. If the moon was any closer or any farther the tidal forces would destroy this planet. If the earth made spun any faster or any slower, it would be like the other planets in our solar system, barren and lifeless. If the earth wasn't around the perfect revolution of the, of the sun, it wouldn't support life. God has created the heavens. He's created the earth. I love Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens... He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but He formed it to be inhabited. Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that man is without excuse. Right? We see God's power in creation. Right? We see it in the heavens. We see it on the earth. And he said he's, he's above all things. He says that, Paul says that he is above the visible and the invisible. Those things were created by him. He's talking about essence. Visible in the sense that all men are created by God from the highest to the lowest. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians verses, sorry, chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. I love this because the Corinthians were arrogant and prideful. If you read 1 Corinthians, an interesting study is a circle how many times Paul says pride or arrogant or prideful or arrogance. Because they were prideful and arrogant if you don't get that. But it's interesting, in the very beginning he says in verse 26, he says, Consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. 
So God creates the lowly. He creates those that, that have nothing, that are nothing in this world's eyes. Right? He creates all those things. Right? Not only does He create the lowly, but He also creates the, those that are up high, the kings of the earth. If you ever, if you ever have a study, I, I encourage you to read Daniel chapter 4 in its entirety. I'd love to do it now. We just don't have time. It's about Nebuchadnezzar. Or Nebuchadnezzar. My name's in the Bible. Uh, it's about Nebuchadnezzar. And it's interesting because, you know, I believe that we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven based on his response after God's humbling. In, in verses um, 3 of chapter 4, after, after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar says, How great, and he's talking about the Most High God, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Well, then, then Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, puffed himself up and he, he basically became like a wild animal. God sent him out in the wilderness to act like an animal. He lost his mind. And then uh, once, he, once uh, God's time of judgment was passed, he came to his senses and it said in verse 34, at the end of that period after he came to his senses, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. His dominion is everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? And then verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So God, Jesus Christ, is creator of all things, heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, all the visible from the, the highest king to the lowest person. And then he's able and he has excuse me, created all things invisible. And he elaborates a little bit of that and he says thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. When you talk about invisible, you're talking about angelic beings that were created by God. Right? Angelic beings are powerful. Satan is powerful. But it's not Jesus and Satan in this world going at it. Right? Satan was created and he was very powerful. Ezekiel 28 says that, that he was created and that he was the, the cherub that covers, that he was in God's presence. But he was beautiful. And in his pride, he sought to be God. You think about Eve's sin. You know what kind of, what kind of, kind of summed it up for her? You know, say, she saw that it was a delightful to look at and that it, was, it would be good to taste. But then she said she saw that it would make her wise, make her like God. Right? That's, the, that's the temptation. You want to be like God. Well, Satan fell into that temptation and he decided he wanted to be God. And he was thrown out of heaven. But he's a beautiful creature. And that's what you got to remember, that Satan is a created being and he's not equal to God. It's not yin and yang in this world. Right? Now, Satan is the God of this age. And he does have power at this present time. But he is not God and is not sovereign. Okay, And now Paul just kind of throws this out and he says thrones and powers and dominions. And I kept thinking about Ephesians 6 when I was reading this. And both of these books, by the way, were Ephesians and Colossians were written while Paul was in prison. And so there are, there are similarities. 
You think about Ephesians 6, Paul says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. So, so, so Christ is creator of all things visible, men, invisible, Satan. And Paul, Paul lists these things. He's not listing necessarily categories of angelic beings. We don't have any revelation about those. If there's, different, there's different levels. Now, we, we think they are, but it's not clear. But I think more to the point, Paul is basically saying, look, all these different ideas about angelic beings, the thrones, whether they're high angels or low angels or mid angels or wherever they are, it doesn't matter, right? Because Christ is the creator of all these things. And for, uh, for false teachers who are coming in and saying that, look, you have to have some kind of spiritual religious experience in something other than Christ, Paul is saying, no, you don't. Because if Christ is supreme and He's created these angelic beings, these, these, uh, these, these different ideas about spiritual forces, if He's created whatever you can think of in that way, and they would call them essence or they would call them eons or they would call them angels and they would venerate them, whatever, whatever you want to call these little steps that you have to get to to earn God's favor or gain a special knowledge, you don't need that stuff. Christ is sufficient. He's the Creator. So Paul is here, he's drawing out the fact that Jesus Christ has created all things, visible and invisible, heaven and on earth. And then he, and then he says something interesting. He says all things have been created through Him. And then he says they created for Him. Do you realize Christ is the goal of creation? Right? Have you ever thought about that? That The goal of creation? Think about a goal that you have. What's your goal? I'm an Olympic runner. My goal is to finish the race, right? I'm playing footy. My goal is to get a goal, right? Christ is the goal of creation. And the ultimate goal, and hopefully this will be fulfilled, is in the millennial reign of Christ. Right? The earth is fallen. We live in a corrupt world. Right? Romans 8 says creation longs to be set free from corruption. Saying, saying, Sorry, Satan. The creation longs to be free from the dominion of Satan. Creation longs to be rid of this chaos that we live in. Right? The influence of sin and evil. Well, we know during the millennial reign of Christ that the curse will be removed. Millennial reign of Christ. Christ will reign. Creation will be restored. In Isaiah 11, it says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb... And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion will, and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze. And their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play with, by the hole of the cobra. And the winged child will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not be hurt or destroy all in my holy mountain. So... Creation longs for the day, millennial reign of Christ, where the curse is removed. For those of you that have young kids, and it's interesting, he mentions the toddler and those that are weaned and those that are being 
being fed. Can you, can you imagine putting your baby beside a viper's hole? Jordan, come on, right? Can you imagine letting, your, letting my toddler hold a leash on a bear, right? See, creation longs for the day when things will be restored to their pre-fallen state, right? Creation longs. Ephesians 1.10 says that the, everything will be summed up in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul actually says that Christ as King will rule His kingdom. Let me flip over there. That's a great passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. <clears throat> but he says, he's talking about, I'm oh, sorry, verse 22. For he's talking about um, the resurrection and then he goes from there. He says, for as in Adam all die... So also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ's at His coming. And then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when He has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy will be abolished as death. You see, the goal of creation is Jesus Christ. Creation longs for the day when Jesus Christ will return, establish His millennial kingdom, and usher in a thousand years of peace and prosperity in which the curse will be removed. You know, I think about my son. Uh, one of the things we've gotten him recently is, is Legos. He loves Legos. And he was playing with his Legos the other day and he, and he made this uh, excavator and he was really proud of it and he was showing everybody and we took a picture of it and, and, um, and Addie came over and wanted to play with it. And I was like, no, Addie, you, know, you need to wait, right? Arden made this, it's his. You know? And, I, and I, as I said this, I was thinking in my mind, I said, you know, he created it and, it and for him it was created. And in my mind, I was thinking, ah, you've been reading this passage all week, you know? And I'm quoting scripture to my, uh, my daughter about my son creating something. Uh, look, we on this earth, all men, all women, all things were created by Jesus Christ and for Him, right? So when you think about Jesus and you think about, is He sufficient in your lives? Is He sufficient for salvation? Yes! Is He sufficient for your daily lives in dealing with all the issues that come up? Yes. Second Peter says that he is, we have all we need for life and guidance in the true knowledge of Him. Christ is supreme, brethren, over creation because He is the Creator of all things. He's not an angelic being. He's not a spiritual apparition. He's not just a good man that we follow. He's not a political messiah. He is the creator of heavens and the earth, the invisible and the visible, and He deserves not only our praise, but our worship. When dealing with these false teachers, Paul is revealing more about Christ than previously known. And he's reminding these Colossians that they don't need anything else. So not only is Christ creator over heavens and earth and over all things, the visible and invisible, there you go, he is pre-existent. All right? Look down in verse 16. Oh, sorry, 17, excuse me. It says in verse 17, he is before all things. Just stop right there. He is before all things. What Paul is talking about here, he's talking about the eternality, 
of the Son. Right? If He's before all things, then He's always existed. You see how this is kind of building. Paul's, Paul's greeting this great hymn to try to convince these believers and remind these believers of who Jesus Christ really is. We tend to think of Him, and I, you hear that song, and I'm, I'm not going to sing it because I wouldn't dare, but that song, I said, My Own Personal Jesus Christ. It came out in the 70s. My own personal Jesus. That song. People have their own personal. Jesus Christ isn't what we want to make Him. Because right? we end up making Him into someone who's like us. Jesus Christ is above all things in the sense that He's our Creator and He is eternal. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. John 8.58 says that uh, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I love that passage in John 8. The, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And they, and they, say, uh, they say, well, you, know, you talk about Abraham. Are you greater than Abraham? And he says, well, before Abraham was born, I am. And guess what? The next verse, they picked up stones to stone him. Right? For those that you hear that may say that, oh, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, uh, well, the, the, the Pharisees would beg to differ. Right? Why do you think Jesus was crucified? He was crucified for blasphemy, for claiming that He was equal to the Father. Right? They just had to use the Romans to do it because they couldn't put people to death. So Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega, letters in the Greek alphabet, A to Z, oh, A to Z, right? Jesus is eternal. He's always existed, right? If, if He's always existed, could He have been created? No. You see how Paul's just laying this on thick so they get it. He wants to make sure that, like I said before, if they, if they get this, they get everything else. So if a Jehovah's Witnesses come up to you Jehovah's false witnesses come up to you and say, oh, Jesus was not God. Well, how is He before all things if He's not God? Right? If, if He existed pre-creation, right? and Einstein says that based off of gravity and mass, that's time. So if He existed pre-creation, pre-time, then we know He's not part of His creation, Right? Right? He's before all things. And the idea has not only a temporal sense, but it has a sense of before in the sense He goes before all things. It's a, it's a preeminent kind of idea. right? It's an idea where in the sense of Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, Behold, the Lord your God belonged heaven and the highest heavens, and the earth is all as in it. Right? Deuteronomy 10.17 For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. So it carries an idea of, of, of chronologically before all things, but also in the sense that He's, he's above all things. So if He's before, He's pre-existent. Right? He's, he's eternal. He's supreme. Right? It's kind of like if you're saying... A certain footy player, you say, oh, well, he's, he's the best. He's before, every, before all the other guys, right? That sense. So he's, he's eternal, but he's also preeminent, supreme. So the Son of God has always existed. 
Jesus was hidden in the Old Testament and He's revealed in the New. For the unbeliever, the question is not, is Jesus a good teacher and that I, should I follow Him? But whether, is He who He claims to be? And Jesus Christ claims to be God. Not only is Jesus preexistent, He's above all things, but He is the sustainer. And this is as far as we're going to go today. We'll finish the next section. It'll be part two next week. So He's the sustainer of all things. Verse 17, and in Him all things hold together. I love this passage. Right? In Him all things. Right? All things. What does He mean by all things? Well, you know, do a little bit of study on this. You know that Christ created all these planetary bodies. He maintains them. You know, when scientists talk about, they they don't understand how the universe holds itself together. When they look through telescopes, they look through Hubble and look through other telescopes, they see these these distant galaxies, and they can't understand how these galaxies stay in in revolution, right? The gravitational forces, they look at these different gravitational forces and say, well, there's there's not enough gravity to keep things moving. And they actually used to call this cosmic glue. Um, they've come up with a, 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 a term, it's kind of a science fiction term, what I hear. They call, it, they call it dark matter. Dark matter. Sounds like science fiction television show, doesn't it? They call it dark matter. It's the same thing. They can't explain it. They don't know why the universe itself doesn't fly apart. We know why it doesn't fly apart. Because Christ is sustaining His creation, right? He's helping His creation. You think of it this way, Christ subdues the natural forces of chaos... That would come about through the fall. So we think about this word and we think how, how chaotic it is. Hurricanes and earthquakes and things. Without Christ's sustaining power, it would be far worse. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says that when the restrainer is removed, then the Antichrist will come and that's when we have basically a world that's gone to hell. Right? Evil, destruction, natural disasters. Christ holds all things together. I was reading about the second law of thermodynamics. And if you have more questions, Jordan can help you with this afterwards. Just how the, how the universe itself is actually running out of energy, right? The universe since its creation has been continually expanding and that, that, that expansion uses quite a bit of energy in its expansion. In fact, scientists actually, I saw this video on YouTube and they, they put out this video of what they think, how the end of the universe happened, and how you know, basically the universe keeps losing energy until it becomes basically nothing but black void again uh, over, you know, obviously many, many years. But what we know that, it actually call it, they call it heat, heat death, how the universe just loses all its energy. Um, ultimately, we know that if it wasn't for Christ, the universe would have already imploded on itself. So not only does he hold the largest planetary systems, but his smallest particles. Kind of the, the system, uh, the, excuse me, the, the law of irreducible complexity in the sense that the, the smaller and smaller you go, you have these, these even molecular molecules. And now we even get to the quantum realm where if, if individual pieces were missing from that molecule, it wouldn't be what it is. So to, to believe that certain things came about through random chance... It's, it's random chance upon random chance. So not only did you have, okay, well, an atom came into being, but at the same time you had, had this atom come in and join with this one and this one, and they form complex systems. You know what? 
Christ has designed things down to the molecular, the quantum level. And he sustains those things. I love what it says in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Like Christ holds this universe in His hands. He holds the very elements. When Christ decides that it's time for a new heavens and a new earth, He will let it go. And when elements, when atoms fly apart, what do you have? You have fission. You have a great cataclysmic, cataclysmic atomic explosion, the likes of which nothing has ever known. Right? If Christ is sustaining, and he says, and this is what Peter says, the elements themselves will be destroyed. When Christ decides it's time for a new heavens and a new earth, at the end of the millennial reign, he will let his hand go, and the elements itself will implode, and the universe itself will be destroyed and be recreated, and you have a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Right? Not only does he say that he holds all things, or all things, but they hold together. Kind of what I was just saying in the sense that Hebrews 1.3 said He upholds all things by the word of His power. It's coherence. Our universe owes its continued existence to Jesus Christ. And I was reading, I was reading the other day that uh, one of the key words for millennials, right? key words for millennials is sustainability. Right? You see it in everything. Jordan, I was reading about the Australian curriculum, how sustainability is one of the key elements of the current Australian school curriculum. Right? So I looked up sustainability. Sustainability, quote, addresses the ongoing capacity of the earth to maintain all life. That's ultimately what sustainability is. Right? We want to sustain the things we have so that we can continue living forever and ever on this earth. Right? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of this earth. Please don't get me wrong. We're stewards of what God has given us, right? But earth, the stars, the animals, they're all created for man, right? When everything is, flies apart and everything is destroyed, God recreates, what's the only thing that will still exist? Man, right? We're the pinnacle of God's creation. We're created in His image. So it's not about human ability to maintain the capacity to maintain all life indefinitely. The issue that plagues this world is sin, Right? It's not about preserving our environment. It's not about preserving life. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? If you say, and this kind of goes back to the, the missionaries on the field, you, you go to Africa and you, you give these starving children grain and food, and there's nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong, and that can be an aspect of evangelism, but that's all you do. If you don't give them the gospel, they may be hungry and fat and fed and grow up and drive Mercedes, but they will still go to hell. They need the gospel. Jesus Christ is supreme over all His creation. Right? It says that He is the image of God. He's the firstborn of creation. All things were created for Him and by Him, heavens and the earth, visible and invisible. He's before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. The false teachers in Colossae were teaching that believers needed something else for spiritual growth and advancement. They had them turning to fad diets and superstition and mysticism and tradition and philosophy, all to make sure that they had their religious bases covered. 
The false teachers were teaching a weak, impotent Christ that was no more than a part of God's creation. Paul refutes that in this passage, as we've seen already and as we'll continue to see. Christ is supreme over creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the true representation of who God is. Brethren, if Christ is all of these things, and He is, then He is sufficient for you. He's sufficient for your daily lives. We don't need Christ plus tradition. We don't need to seek great religious experiences. We don't need to dabble in men's philosophy and the wisdom of this world. We don't need to turn to men's man's wisdom and how to deal with our problems. Don't make the mistake of separating your life into kind of a religious sphere and a physical sphere. Right? That's what our society tells us to do. You have the spiritual, your spiritual things. You can keep that separate from everything else. Don't tell me about Jesus. That's you between you and God and your church and that's it. And every year you live your life the way you want to live it. Just don't intersect the two. Right? Christ is sufficient for your needs, but He has to be Lord of your life. Right? Paul has given us a glimpse here of Christ and all His glory and His creative power. He has shown us, just as He's shown these believers, that if you get Christ wrong, then everything else will tilt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for... Thank You for Your grace. Your grace in showing us a greater glimpse of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for creating us, O oh Lord. You knit us together even in our mother's wombs. We look at this creation and we see Your divine attributes and we give You the glory. We see the stars and we are, we are humbled. What is man that You are mindful of us? Who are we that... You would suffer and die for us. Sinners, haters of God, defiant, rebellious. But praise be you, O Lord, that you sacrificed yourself. You called us to yourself. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're sufficient for our lives. And I pray that as we walk this week, with you, that we would give you the glory. In Christ's name, amen.